1992, uh, 79-year-old Stella Liebich brought, uh, bought a cup of takeout coffee from McDonald's drive-thru in Albuquerque. Uh, she spilled it on her lap. She ended up suing McDonald's and uh, was awarded nearly $3 million dollars. Uh, from, from that lawsuit and punitive damages uh, that she suffered. How many of you remember that news story? Uh, 1992, all right? It's hard to believe, right? And, and I think the typical reaction to, the, to that news story was, yeah, coffee's hot. Right? Coffee's hot. You shouldn't spill it on your lap. You shouldn't be driving with an open cup of coffee and, and that sort of thing. And then you start to hear like some of the facts of the case. My cousin's an attorney uh, up in Michigan and sent me this article on, on this case. Like uh, Mrs. Liebeck wasn't driving when she spilled the coffee. Uh, she was actually seated uh, with her nephew who had bought the coffee and she was adding the cream and sugar and it spilled on, on her lap. Uh, the coffee wasn't just hot. Uh, at that time, McDonald's policy was that they would serve their coffee just below the boiling point. So it, it was nearly boiling when it was handed to her. She was wearing sweatpants at the time. The coffee soaked into her sweatpants. Uh, she ended up having third-degree burns and required uh, skin grafts, after which she nearly died. That, that thing. Um, Liebeck's case was fair, uh, far from an isolated event. McDonald's had received more than 700 complaints about the heat of their coffee. Uh, they had paid out a number of uh, settlements in, in a couple other cases. And Mrs. Liebeck, finally, she offered uh, to settle her lawsuit for $20,000 uh, to cover her attorney costs and to cover her medical expenses. And McDonald's didn't want to do that. They offered her $800. And uh, when the court, uh, when the case went to uh, the, the jury, they decided to award her, get this, Two days of coffee sales, $3 million. McDonald's sells a million and a half dollars worth of coffee every day. All right, get your mind around that. All right, so I share that because in 1992, I was 16 years old. And I remember this woman just being obliterated and made fun of in the press. Anybody else remember that? Stand-up comedians and, and all this stuff. I remember an episode of Seinfeld. Uh, where Kramer was going into a movie theater and decided to try to sneak some hot coffee in the belt of his pants and it spilled all over him and he ended up getting uh, coffee for life as the result of his case. Uh, but when you hear the truth of what happened, it's easy to make fun of. But when you hear the truth of what happened, it causes you to see the situation and to see the court case and to see all of that stuff in a different light. And I think we all know this intuitively, but I think we know how important the truth is. How important it is to know the truth. And here, why? Let me, let me put this on the screen for you. Here's why it's so important. We make decisions based on what we believe to be true. This is why the truth is so important. Because you and I, every single day, we are making decisions based on what we believe to be true. You married someone, or you will marry someone someday based on what you believe to be true about them. You'll take a job, you will leave a job based on what you believe to be true. You'll buy a house, you'll sell a house based on what you believe to be true. And this kind of hits hard for some people. Because who you believe they were, or who you believed it was, or who you believe the opportunity was, didn't turn out to be true, and it hurt. So we know how important the truth is. Now, when the Bible talks about truth, the Bible defines it in a very, very specific way. Let me put this on the screen for you. It's the unveiled reality laying at the basis of and agreeing with the appearance. In other words, the Bible would say that truth happens when the way something looks matches what it is. 
When the way something looks from the outside, when the way something looks from far away, when the way something looks on the outside matches what it is on the inside, and we get this. This makes complete sense to us because this is what dating is. Right? If you're in a dating frame of life, you've read their profile. Right? You know what they said about themselves on the profile, but you're going on the date to try to determine is what they said in the profile, is the way they're presenting themselves, is this who they really are? This is what interviewing is all about. Right? You've read the job posting, you, you've, you've checked each other out, but interviewing is about determining if what it is on the outside is what it is on the inside. This is why you do a home inspection. Right? Because you know what they said about their home. You know how much they love their home, but you want an expert to make sure what is on the outside matches what's in the inside. So we've been in this series now. This is the second week. Uh, this series is called True-ish. True-ish. Right? And we're looking at some things that, that almost seem true. They almost seem right. But when we look a little bit deeper, we discover that they're actually just true-ish. Uh, the, the, the truth is found in, in God. The, the truth is found in Scripture. And the truth is so much better than something that's true-ish. So today I want to look at this statement. Isn't truth supposed to be personal to me? Isn't truth, when it comes to the truth, isn't truth personal to me? In other words, don't I determine what is right and what is true and what is good for me? Isn't that how truth works? That I determine what is good, I determine what is right, I I discover uh, what is good for, for me. And our culture is in love with this idea. Right? We love this idea that it's true for me. It's, it, it's, I, I decide what, it, what is true for me. And there's a couple ways this can play out very easily in, in a culture like ours. One is that if a truth isn't personal to me, then I have no interest in that truth. Right? If truth is personal to me, then like if I don't find it interesting or it doesn't engage me or whatever, um, then I have no interest in it. You'll hear missionaries and fundraisers talk about how difficult it is right now in this culture to raise money, to raise funds, because if it's not relevant to me, it's not relevant at all. And I think our culture is missing out on some profound truths uh, that, that, that God wants to, to move in and, and work through. And I think we're missing out on those because if it's not relevant to me, it must not be relevant at all. It's a real, real dangerous place to be. But here's the, the way I want to kind of center on. That if truth is personal to me, then if I don't like a truth, I reject it. Because it's not true for me or it would never work for me. I told you this story last week, but I remember a guy one time came to me for some advice. And I knew that the Bible directly uh, talked about the issue that he was struggling with. So I said, let's open up God's word. This, this was a Christian guy. Let's open up God's word and talk. So I opened up the Bible. I read him a couple of verses, and he said, that will never work. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I didn't know that was an option, all right? <laughs> you know, that, that would never work for me. That, that's not true for me. I'm not going to, to apply that. And this is what happens uh, when you buy into this to, to a certain level is I become the source of truth. I become the source of truth. So let me put my cards on the table before we get to God's word. Here's what I believe. I believe truth is truth. I believe truth is truth. And it doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if you apply it. The truth is the truth. Now, for truth to have the greatest impact in your life, it must be applied. So in that way, the, 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 statement, that, that, uh, the, the, the statement that we're talking about today is kind of true-ish, because truth is personal. It must be applied to my personal life, but truth is an all-play. It ultimately doesn't matter if you apply it. It doesn't matter if you like it. The truth is the truth. Let me give you an example. 
The speed limit is the speed limit. Oh, I'm preaching now. All right, all right. The speed limit's the speed limit. You might not like it. You might not want to apply that to your personal life. But if you do that, if you live with disregard to to the speed limit, you're going to get a ticket. Taxes are a real thing. Right? Taxes are a real thing. You owe a certain amount of tax each year, and you might not like that. You might not want to apply that to your life. You might not, you might say, I'm not filing this year. You're going to get a certified letter from the IRS. And they're, they're, they're not going to be happy with you. You might not like your start time at work. You might want to roll in at the crack of noon. And you say, that, that's truth for me. Coming in at noon is truth for me. You, you might want to roll in at the crack of noon. But you know and I know that you are going to get called into HR. And they're going to say, be here at 8. And you're going to say, I like to be here at noon. That's what's true for me. And they're going to say, well, what's also true for you is that you don't work here anymore. Right? Here's my point. I think, and I, I think you probably agree with me, I think there's probably a better source of truth than you and I. I think there's a better place to find truth. I think there's a better place to obey the truth. I think there's a better place to discover. Open your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 1. The Bible talks a lot about this idea of truth. But one author of the Bible stands uh, far and away. He talks about it the most, and it's John. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, uh, the book of John uh, is part of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John talks about the idea of truth more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. Right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. John talks about the truth that much. And I think my, my kind of reading of John is that John wanted people. John had such a unique relationship with Jesus. They had a, they had a really, really close friendship. Uh, John will describe himself later in his book as the disciple that Jesus loved. He was also very humble. Um, uh, in addition to loving the truth, he also was a real humble guy. Uh, and uh, he, he had this unique friendship with Jesus. They were very, very close. And I think when you read John, I think he wanted people to know Jesus at a deeper level uh, than just what Jesus did. I think he wanted people to know who Jesus was and, and is. And so he talks a lot about the truth and where the truth is found, and, and the truth of Jesus. And here's, here's what John is going to try to teach us this morning. Is this? I'll put it up on the screen for you. The truth is found in Jesus. That's John's point. Beginning of his book from chapter 1 uh, on right on through to the end, that the truth is found in Jesus. So I want to show you today's sermon super simple. I want to show you uh, three, four, five passages um, we'll see when my clock runs out here, right? Uh, where John talks about the truth, all right? So let's start in John 1, uh, starting in verses 17 and 18. Uh, starting in verse 14, excuse me. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and Full of grace and truth. Now skip down to verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and Truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. So in the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, Israel believed that God and the truth of who he is and the truth of what he cares about is best revealed in his law. 
It is best revealed specifically in the old, in uh, the, the Ten Commandments. And we know that, that when you start reading the Ten Commandments, you discover a lot about God. The very opening verse of the Ten Commandments is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So from the very first verse of the Ten Commandments, we learn that God is a God of grace. God is a God of rescue. God is a God who cares about his people and brings them out of slavery. And then the verses go on from there to describe this God who cares about life and who cares about faithfulness and cares about worship and he cares about rest. You serve a God who commands you to take a nap. I think it's cool. All right. Um, that he's a, uh, he's a God who cares about rest. He's a God who cares about honesty. And we could go on and on about what we learn from God in the Ten Commandments. And we sometimes forget uh, because our culture has adapted and adopted these Ten Commandments. We forget how countercultural they were when they were first given. That when they were first given, murder was the norm. Dishonesty was the norm. Uh, all that stuff was the, was the norm. And God comes in and says to his people, you are my community. You believe the truth is found in me. You are walking with me. You are going to look different. So every other nation might allow for murder, not my nation. Every other nation might allow for dishonesty, not my nation. Every other uh, nation might allow for these things, but my nation is going to be different because you believe the truth is found in me. So John, what John says here is very profound. John says that Jesus is the living demonstration of God's truth. So if you want to know what is true... And you want to know what is right. And you want to know what the truth looks like. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Jesus Christ, you will discover the truth. You will discover what God cares about. Just look to Jesus. And I think Jesus did a very interesting thing. That one of the things that happened when the law was, was written down, and, and the law was written down on the stone tablets, is people became obsessed with the letter of the law instead of the spirit behind the law. Jesus actually addresses this when he comes on the scene, that people are like, as long as I don't murder, as long as I don't commit adultery, as long as I don't do these, if I follow the letter of the law, then God and I are going to be okay. And Jesus comes in and what he does is so profound because Jesus shows us what it looks like to walk in truth, not by the letter of the law, but by the spirit of the law. And Jesus reminds us how countercultural it is to walk in the truth. And so in Jesus, we see this example of that not just murdering, right? That's the letter of the law, but to live a grace-filled life. To not just remain faithful, faithful sexually, but to live a pure life. To not just refuse to lie, but to walk in truth. And Jesus reminds us, even today, even today, how countercultural the truth can be. How countercultural it is when you walk in truth, not the letter of the law, but the spirit of law, and you walk the way that God wants you to walk. And it is. You, you see, you see uh, famous people that uh, proclaim the name of Jesus, and they make some kind of aggressive steps to walk in the truth. You see how countercultural it is. At your workplace, you see how countercultural it is. In your friendships, you see how countercultural it is. When somebody walks in the truth of Jesus Christ, it is still a countercultural thing. Because our society is still prone to the letter of the law. Well, I've never murdered anybody. I'm, God and I are cool. I've never murdered anybody. Jesus reminds us, man, when you live a grace-filled life, not just murder, but a grace-filled life, it is a countercultural thing. So Jesus is the living embodiment of the truth. And in this day and age, 
where there's a lot of lies that are told to us, a lot of people believe a lot of different things, to have a living embodiment of the truth like Jesus is an amazing, amazing thing. John 8, verses 31 through 34. I hear the pages turning. I love it. All right? All right? Um, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say we have been set free? And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So Jesus is making an argument here about why the, this issue of truth is so important. And here's why it is. Because if you believe in the wrong thing, if you follow the wrong thing, if you buy into the wrong thing, that is the very thing that can ultimately enslave you. Right? And th- th- this is why Jesus says this issue is so important because this issue of spiritual slavery is at play here. That when you uh, believe in the wrong thing and you follow the wrong thing, that thing can enslave you. So let me like give you a few kind of statements of, of, of what I'm talking about here. Here's like one that a lot of people believe that you could see how this could enslave you. Food will give you comfort when you are sad. Food will give you comfort when you are sad. Right? Now I'm not just preaching, I'm meddling a little bit, but that's okay, alright? Um, that, that if you buy into that truth, if you believe that as true, it will not be long before food will be your master. Money will be your source of peace when you get older. Money will be your source of peace when you get older. If you believe that as true, it will not be long before money is your master. Pleasure can be your joy, especially when you're young. Pleasure can be your joy, especially when you're young. If you buy into that as a truth, it will not be long before the idea of pleasure enslaves you. So Jesus says this. He says, my words are true. And then he goes on to say this. My words bring freedom. My words bring freedom. I am not, Jesus says, I am not going to lead you to slavery. I am not going to lead you to bondage. I am going to lead you to freedom. And he even tells us how his words bring freedom. He he says it from the very first verse. He says, here's how my words will bring freedom. If you will hold to my teaching. If you will hold to my teaching. Not just hear my words, but if you will hold to my teaching, Jesus says, my words will bring you life. Because Jesus is the truth. And and Jesus' words are the truth. And he leads us to freedom. I think about um, the the story in the Old Testament where God's people were in slavery. And God kind of raised up uh, Moses to go to to Pharaoh and tell him, you know, let my people go. And and that sort sort of whole thing. And they were ultimately released. And they started walking for this place called the promised land. It was new life. It was freedom. It was this joy that they were walking to. And Moses wasn't a perfect leader. The nation wasn't a perfect people. So they ended up like wandering for a while. Uh, going in circles is the literal way. When you look at the map, they were literally walking in circles, right? Big Ben Parliament sort of thing, all right? Um, and what we learn is that Jesus is the new and perfect Moses. He is the new and perfect Moses, and he leads us to the promised land. The best thing that, that you and I could adapt in, in terms of this sermon is that Jesus' words are intended to give you life. Jesus' words will give you life. And I say that because I think that there's this 
kind of prevalent feeling in our culture right now that the Jesus way is the way of restriction. That the Jesus way is the way of slavery and restriction and, and all of that. And Jesus says the opposite. He says, no, no, no. If you'll hold to my teaching, if you'll follow my teaching, I am going to bring you to the promised land. I am going to bring you new life. And I am going to bring you freedom. And if you have kids or you have grandkids or you want kids or grandkids someday, you understand this well. Because you've had an experience where your kids are at the pool and they're doing something and they start to kind of misbehave or or whatever. And you try to step in and say, oh, stop doing that, Johnny or Billy or whatever. Stop doing that. And they won't listen and they won't obey. And so finally you come to a point where you have to restrict their freedom. You put them into this slavery thing called time out. It's awful. It's terrible, right? And, and, and you set them off to the side and all the kids are playing in the pool and they're just kind of watching. And usually after about a couple minutes of that with my son anyway, you'll hear this kind of quiet, I'm sorry. You know, can I, can I get back in the pool? And, you know, we are very graceful people, so we move on pretty quickly. But, um, you want to say to your kids and you want to say to your grandkids, man, just do what I say. For the love of all that is good and right, just do what I say. And you'll have joy and freedom and life. If you don't do what I say, you will have this slavery called time out, right? So just do what I say. And I think Jesus would say the same thing. Man, just hold to my teaching. Just hold to my teaching. Just do, do what I say. I am leading you. I promise you I am leading you out of slavery. And I'm leading you into life. John fourteen seven. John fourteen seven. Probably the most famous thing John quotes Jesus is saying about the idea of truth. Here's what, it, here's what it is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him because you have seen me. So I think that throughout our lives... I think this will resonate with every person. Throughout our lives, we ask a variety of questions about the truth. Right? And uh, at different stages of life, you ask different questions. But like, let me give you a few examples. Like, is it true that we should get married? Is it true that we should have children? Is it job, uh, true that we should take that job or leave that job or any number of things? And we battle uh, truth in these realms all the time. But the number one question that comes to every single person at some point in their life is the battle over this. Am I okay with God? Am I right with God? Are God and I okay? Because whether or not you're a Christian, you, you, know, you know just as well as I do, that you know, I'll, I'll use the language if. I believe there is, but I'll use the language if. If there's a God in heaven and he is holy and perfect and righteous, and I believe with all of my heart that he is, if that's true, then my sin surely must be a problem. We, we, we all, we all know that. We all, we, we, we all un- understand that. And so every one of us, at some point, we, we have, uh, that conversation internally that, am I alright with God? Am I okay with God? Do I have the relationship with Him that I need to have, even though I'm a sinner? And I find that there are two times where we really wonder this. The two T's. Times of transition. Like when you're getting married. Um, when you're having children. You for sure ask this when you're having children. Right? I need God. Are he and I okay? <laughs> right? Uh, my, I've told you before, my parents became Christians the year I was born. The year I was born, somebody was going door to door around our neighborhood, and they knocked on, on the door, and they opened the door, and it was that thing that we used to do where, you know, do you know whether or not you'd go to heaven if you died tonight? 
It's like, I'm closing the door. I, um, you know, but they, they asked my parents some spiritual question like that. And they looked at the person and they looked at me and something prompted them to say, we need Jesus. And we need him today. Um, so my, my parents, my parents became Christians the year I was born. So times of transition, getting married, having kids, changing cities. We tend to think about God there. And then even beyond that is times of tragedy. I get this question all the time at the end of life. When somebody's at the end of life and they're, they're kind of struggling right then, it's like, man, are God and I okay? Are God, I'm about to go and meet him. I want to know that we are okay. And Jesus tells us what is true. Here's what he says. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. You can come to the Father through me. And so when we follow Jesus, when we believe that verse, say, I want to, be, I want to have the relationship with God I was created to have. When, when that kind of resonates in our heart, and we say, the only way I can have the relationship with God I was created to have, it, Jesus is the way. He does this amazing thing. He forgives our sin. He forgives all your sin. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. He forgives all of your sin. Uh, he makes you right with the Heavenly Father. He secures your future. This is one of the wonderful images of baptism, is that we go and like all that stuff is like spiritually like washed off us, and we raise to this new life where we're now following Jesus. Uh, Martin Luther called this the great exchange. That I give Jesus all of my, all of my sin on the cross. I just heap all of my sin on, on Jesus at the cross, and He gives me all of His righteousness. And if you can think of a better deal than that, I'd like to hear it after church. I give Jesus all of my sin, and He gives me, think about that for a minute, He gives me all of His righteousness. So when I stand before God someday, I am not standing before God as Steve Higgs. I am standing before God with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is an amazing, amazing thing. So you and I don't have to wonder if we're okay with God. Through Jesus Christ, we can know for sure. We can know for sure if we're following him, if we've put our faith in him, Jesus does that great exchange for us. He says, I'll forgive your sin. Follow me. I'll forgive your sin. I'll make you right with the heavenly father. And I want to close. I got two more passages I want to share. Um, the next one's in John 16. And then I want to close with a story. John 16, 12 through 13. Jesus says this, and this is amazing to me too. I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. Uh, Jesus talking to his disciples. He's like, I have so much more I want to say, but you can't handle it. Right? But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. So Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is so passionate about the truth. And Jesus knows how important the truth is. That he promised us when he returned to heaven that he would leave us the spirit of truth. That he would leave us the Holy Spirit who will guide us into truth. He will point us to Jesus. He will transform us into the likeness of Jesus. He will give us the strength that we need to live day to day. He will give us the strength to live the life we were created to live. He will guide us into the truth. And so on this journey with the truth, I need you to know, as a Christian, you are not alone in this thing. God, Jesus Christ, has given you his Holy Spirit of truth to guide you in the truth and help you find the truth. So God, uh, John, excuse me, makes this thing really clear. Here, here's his point. Jesus is the truth. Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus leads us to the truth. Jesus is the truth. The truth is found in one man, 
Jesus. So I want to close with a story from Scripture. Jesus, when he was uh, going through his trials, at one point he got moved uh, from his Jewish trial to a Roman trial. Uh, in the middle of the night, it was illegal what they did, uh, but he got kicked over to Rome for one of his trials. And this really, really interesting thing happens. I want to put it up on the screen for you. Uh, and I, I just want to read it to you because I, I think it's so powerful. But it says, Then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas to the Roman governor's residence. It was very early in the morning. They did not go into the governor's residence so that they would not be ceremonially defiled, but could eat the Passover meal. So Pilate came outside to them and said, what accusation are you making against this man? He wanted to know the charges against Jesus. And they replied, if this man were not a criminal, we would, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate told them, take him yourselves and pass judgment on him according to your own law. He's, he says to the Jewish leaders, you guys just need to handle this. Rome, Rome didn't want to get involved in the beginning here. He said, just handle it according to your Jewish law. And the Jewish religious leaders replied, we cannot legally put anyone to death. So you start to see what's happening here. They wanted to kill Jesus. They said, we, we can't legally put him to death. This happened to fulfill the, the word uh, Jesus spoke, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate went back into the governor's residence, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? This was the charge against Jesus. He's like, I just want to know the truth of who you are. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, are you saying this on your own initiative, or have others said it to you about me? You come up with this on your own, Pilate? What's going on? And Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own people, your chief priests, handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus, tell me, what's going on here? And Jesus replied, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my, my servants would fight to prevent me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. But now my kingdom is not from here. And then Pilate said, so you are a king. You are admitting to being a king. And Jesus replied, well, you say that I am a king. <laughs> this, this back and forth thing going on. You say that I am a king. I have been born and I have come into this world for this reason. To testify to the, to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked, what is the truth. And I think the question Pilate asks here is a question that every single person in this room has asked at some point in their life. What is truth? Where do I find it? How do I follow it? What is true? Is truth personal to me? Am I, is it like if it's true for me, then it's true. If it's not true for me, then, then it's not true. Is truth personal uh, to me? And I would say this, truth is personal. It's true, that statement's true-ish, true-ish in this way. Truth is personal, but it's not personal to you. It is personal to Jesus. And I believe with all of my heart that truth is found in a personal relationship with him. It's found following him. It's found when we make him our Lord. He is the truth. He is what is true. That, that The Bible makes this so clear that Jesus didn't just speak truth. Jesus didn't just teach truth. The, the, the Bible would teach that Jesus somehow actually is the truth. That the truth is found. It's personal. 
It's found in a personal relationship with him. That Jesus, in every way that a person can, Jesus embodied the truth. He is what is true. He spoke what is true. He he rescues us from our sin. That, That is the truth of who he is. He is the truth. Every part of him is the truth. So truth is personal. It's found in a personal relationship with him. And John said it best when he was uh, quoting Jesus that, that, I, uh, that, that you will know the truth. When he's quoting Jesus here, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You want to know what is true? You want to find freedom? You, you want to find life? You want to find forgiveness? It is found in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for Jesus, who is the truth in every way. That I don't even fully understand this. That somehow Jesus didn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. Every part of him is the truth. So we want to come to him. We want to receive his spirit that guides us in all truth. Um, Lord, we want to follow after you. We want to be obedient to your words. We want to hold to your teaching. We want to have a relationship with you. We want to have your spirit of truth. We want to walk in truth every step of the way because this is just crucially and critically important. There's so many lies in our world. We want to know the truth and we want to be set free. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Will you stand? Will you stand? Uh, We're going to sing a song of invitation. Um, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus being uh, the the source of all truth and, and truth incarnate. Uh, as John would say in, in John 1. So we'd love to talk to you about that. We also want to pray with you. If you have any prayer requests or prayer need, um, we'd love to, to pray with you. Uh, a couple prayer counselors will be up here with me as we sing this song together.